Welcome to the In Touch Podcast with Charles Stanley for Thursday, January 4th. Today, we're challenged to turn ourselves toward a new year with renewed passion to put our faith into action. Here's part two of Vision Without Boundaries. I'm fully persuaded that most of us fail to achieve our goals, reach our dreams, our strong desires in life simply because we unknowingly set boundaries, limitations upon ourselves, and just give up and consent to mental barriers we originate ourselves and then wonder why we don't accomplish those things. What is true in our life personally will be projected in the life of the church. What we hear in the church will be projected in our personal life. So I want us to take a couple of passages that are very, very familiar to us. And I want us to think in terms primarily about the church, but also in your own personal life. So I want you to turn to these two. They're two familiar passages, and usually people say, oh, I know that one by heart. But sometimes what I know by heart may be the very thing that trips me up. Oh, I know what that says. And uh, this is a good example of it. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. And I want us to begin reading in the 16th verse. And when you turn to Matthew 28, then before we read, turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. So Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, two familiar passages, but two very important ones concerning this whole idea of visions without boundaries. In the 28th chapter of Matthew, in the 16th verse, remembering that Jesus has risen from the dead. This is his final meeting with his disciples here on earth. And he says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then in Acts chapter 1, beginning in the sixth verse, Scripture says, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. What is it that motivated them to do what he asked them to do? Well, I think the number of things, and first of all, the thing that I think must motivate every person, that is their own personal experience with Jesus. What was their motivation? When he said, I want you to go out and preach the gospel, that is, give them the good message of Christ's birth, death, resurrection, his atoning death at Calvary, his willingness to save them. What is it that motivated them? I'll tell you what motivated them, first of all, is their own personal experience. These men were men whose lives had been transformed by their relationship to Jesus. When they trusted him as their Savior, their Lord and their Master, something happened in their life they wouldn't ever be the same again. And therefore, when they went out, they went out with a message, listen, not just on their lips. They went out with a message that was a part of their very soul. It was a part of their very life. In fact, it was their life. You see, you can tell somebody 
something that you've heard, and you may be sort of enthusiastic about it. But when you've walked through it, when you have experienced it, when you have been hurt, or when you have been blessed, when your life's been transformed, what motivated that early church? It was the transforming work of Christ. He gave hopeless people hope. He gave helpless people help. He gave them a vision of a future, and he gave them a hope of heaven, and he gave them the promise of his own presence. Which leads me to the second thing that I think motivated them. If you recall what he said, he says, and I'll be with you always to the end of this age. He says, wherever I send you, I'll be there. Think about what they were thinking. They knew that they were going to walk out of his presence, and if they did what he said do, they were going to walk head on into a collision with Rome. Think about this. Them talking about another king, talking about another kingdom, following a different set of rules, they knew what was going to happen, that there was going to be persecution, there was going to be conflict. What is it that motivated them? Not only their experience with him, but the awesome promise of his presence. Now, they could have doubted his presence, but when they saw him ascend, and they had seen all the other miracles that he'd performed, and now he's the living, walking, touchable, resurrected Christ. And he said, all authority has been given to me. What he was saying, you have to put these two together. When he said go, remember he set the foundation. All authority has been given to me so that when you go, I'm going with you. The same authority that's sending you is the same authority that's going to be with you. Which leads me to the third thing that motivated them, and that was the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't send them out to do their own thing their own way. And you recall in Luke when he said, to them, go and preach a repentance and forgiveness of sin. He said, now, when he finished that, he said, but wait, you're not ready yet. He said, sit down in the city of Jerusalem, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Just because they'd been with him for three years, and just because they'd seen and heard all these things, just because their lives had been transformed did not mean they were ready. He said, before you're ready, the Holy Spirit must come upon you to enable you, to equip you, to empower you. And see, one of the primary reasons the church is so weak today and our missions are so weak today is because we are trying to do it in our own ideas and our own ways and our own methods and our own newfangled ideas. Listen, there's only one way to do God's work effectively, and that is to do it God's way. And God's way is in absolute total dependence upon Him. His way is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me, therefore He says go. Motivated by their personal relationship with Him, motivated by the promise of His presence, motivated by the promise of His power, but motivated likewise because of their love for Him. You see, if you and I love Him, we're going to do what He wants us to do. There's a difference in needing Jesus and loving Jesus. I do need him desperately. All of us do. And listen, God is greatly pleased we come to him saying, Lord, I need you. He knows we need him. But to love him takes me one step beyond needing him. Loving him says that I have my focus on him, not my needs. Loving him says I want to please him. I worship him and adore him, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. Now listen, you don't love somebody you don't know. How are you going to love somebody you don't know? Jesus said, well, I'll tell you how you know whether you love me or not, whether you obey me or not. Listen to this. If your lifestyle is obedience to Christ, if that's what you're committed to, I don't mean that you obey him every single day, every time about everything. Nobody does. But if, if your heart is bent toward obedient to him, being obedient to him, and that's your passion in life to obey him and to follow him and to trust him and do what he wants you to do, 
then that's an indication that you love him. Why would you even get in that position? Why would you even develop that kind of attitude? Because you know this man. You see, it, the more I know him, the more I'm going to love him. And the more I love him, the more I'm going to want to be obedient. Because why? Because the more I love him, the more his love I'm going to feel. What is it that draws us? Judgment doesn't draw us. It is love that draws us. And so Jesus loved those men, and they loved him in return. They were willing to lay down their lives for him. Why? Because they loved him. And I want to ask you, do you love the Lord Jesus? Is there a real, genuine, emotional bond between you and Christ? Can you sense his love? Can you feel his love? Do you understand that he loves you, that he is your friend, not just your Savior and your Master and your Lord and your God, but he is your friend? And that he loves you and he wants you to love him in return. You say they were motivated by their love for him. But you know why they loved him? They loved him for who he was. Why are we to love him for who he is? And listen, when I love him for who he is, I'll want to do what he says do simply because he's the person he says he is. And so I'm afraid that the church today, we're so oriented about needs. If you go to a bookstore, most of the books today are about needs. Some kind of an emotional need somebody has. We have become a self-centered church as the whole church all across the world. Our needs and what we need and what are we going to do for us? The vision was given to get our focus upon God and upon a hurting world. And as you and I, listen, give ourselves away to hurting people, something happens on the inside of us. There is no way to give to God without it coming back. If you love, it's coming back. If you give money, it's coming back. If you give time, it's coming back. Love is going to express itself. And when you and I love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to express that love the only way we can. Not just telling him I love him, but doing what loving him involves. Sharing the gospel. Telling people how to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord and their Master. These men were motivated by their love for him. But the next thing they were motivated by was their compassion for people who were hurting. Now you think about this. This world really hasn't changed when it comes to people. People are still hurting. They're still walking in darkness. They're still emotionally hurt. They're still physically hurt. They're still in sickness and all kinds of distress and despair. And they're full of anger and hostility and bitterness and resentment and warring and violence and crime and bloodshed and, and all the things that are going on. Things haven't changed when it comes to humanity. You know why? Because the flesh hadn't changed. The same flesh that Adam and Eve got in the Garden of Eden when they fell is the same flesh we have today, the old naturalness in all of us that either must be, we must be saved from and transformed or we'll act like the world. That's where the world is. And when the flesh is working in a person's heart, they don't know Christ as their Savior, or even if they do and the flesh is in the ascendancy and they're yielding to the flesh, what are they doing? Acting like the unsaved. And so we have a whole world of people who are hurting because they're hurting each other. And he said to them, he says, the fields are white under harvest. And you and I can look around us today and you take any globe or any map. And if you put a big red spot on where there's a war, a bloodshed or turmoil or strife, you can almost cover the whole globe. What is the work of the church? The work of the church is going, making disciples, baptizing, instructing, teaching, building them up, edifying them so that every single believer becomes a disciple maker. So that we're not satisfied just being who we are. We want to be who God wants us to be. And it is Christ living within us that makes that a possibility. And so when we think, well, what should motivate the church? The same thing. Same thing. He has commanded us to go. And all of us who are believers, we have a personal experience. We have something to share. The promise of his presence, the promise of his power. We have everything that we, the same things that they had. What motivated them? Love and compassion. 
But here's what happens. We set boundaries. And so we say, but this is all we can do. This is as far as we can go. So I want us to think for just a moment because what is true here is also true uh, in our personal life. It's also true in the church. But we set boundaries. We set boundaries on ourselves. We set boundaries on others. Now I want us to think about what these boundaries are for a moment. As we said in the very beginning that all of us could accomplish more and achieve more if we didn't allow uh, these boundaries and these barriers and these limitations in our life. But when we accept them, they hinder us. Uh, what have you set without even thinking that you've limited yourself? Well, let's think about it for a moment. What are some of those barriers? Geographical. Church says, well, you know, um, I know that God wants us in the mission, uh, to do missions, but look, look at our own country. I mean, we've got so much sin and rebellion in our own country. Why should we go across the seas or to some other nation somewhere and preach the gospel when uh, we don't have it all together in our own country? That's a mental boundary. It isn't God's boundary. He said the remotest parts of the earth. Well, somebody says, why does God want us to go to some other culture? We have cultural boundaries. I mean, we don't speak their language. We don't understand their religions. We don't understand their way of life. I believe God wants us to go where somebody understands their language. It's easier, the simpler there. And we have the same kind of lifestyle so they'd understand who Jesus is. Then there are financial boundaries. Somebody says, well, and... and when I think about this in so many churches that say, well, start a world missions program. Listen, we're hardly meeting our budget. We can't afford to be concerned about the world when we can't even take care of our own. You know why not taking care of your own? Because you're not doing what God called you to do. We set financial limitations and barriers. Things that, that, that we won't even attempt to overcome because we just set them up. We say, well, you know, that's too big and too good for me and God. Yes, he will. Who set the limitation? Visions without boundaries. And more than likely, everybody here, every person listening, God has something he wants you to do. It may be something short term. It may be something tomorrow, something next week, or with this person or that, whatever. You say, well, you know, I, I just don't know. Is, is it because you have set the boundary? Is it because you're unwilling? Because you're not willing to risk failure? Financial boundaries, and sometimes that's what happens. Then it comes to safety. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go wherever God wants me, but I don't believe he wants me to go where it's unsafe. Then you better go home and lock your doors and have an alarm system. Where do you go for safety? You know where you go for safety? Straight up. He is our safety. And he can put you in the most remotest part of the world and keep you safe. Safety is to be found in him. That's not a limitation. That's not a boundary that God would recognize at all. Then I think in terms also of this whole idea of convenience, and I think that's probably the worst, worst barrier of all. The worst boundary is, well, you know, I'll have to give up this. I'll have to do thus and so. What is the, what is the vision all about? Getting the gospel of hope to the world. So our boundaries of convenience and our boundaries of acceptance, for example, well, I want to go where I'll be welcomed. Well, you're not going to go many places because, you see, he says, he says beware if the world speak well of you. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The boundaries that we allow in the church have kept the gospel from reaching the remotest parts of the earth. There are no limitations and no boundaries that God cannot cross. And when you think about what's happening in the world today with television and radio and all the different ways and, and people out there translating the gospel in all these different languages, the most awesome things are there to take place 
if we'll just be obedient to God. These boundaries are not set by God. They're boundaries that we accept for ourselves. So look at the vision he gave. He said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to spend the rest of your life doing. You know what he's saying to us? You, your family, your children, your parents, whatever. Your vocation that I've given you so you can make a living and make a good living. I want you to remember this, that your vocation, your making a living and your money is so that your life's priorities will be right. So that the main thing in your life is Jesus. The main thing in your life is fulfilling the one vision he gave to his church. Now, your money and your vocation, all the good things that come your way and the pleasures in life you enjoy, fine. God says, that's fine. Just don't forget the vision. Don't let the flame die in your heart. Don't become so enmeshed in the blessings of God that the flame of evangelism and missions and what the church is all about doesn't die in your soul. That's what it's all about. And listen, when it dies in a church, it dies in the hearts of the people in that church. That's the only reason it dies. If it dies at church, it'll die at home. If it's alive at home, it'll get alive in the church. No boundaries but what God wants us to do and what he wants us to accomplish. And so I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that you've told God? I'll not cross that boundary. I'm willing to do so-and-so, but Lord, I just can't handle that one. Need to tear it down. You know how we get, you know why we set boundaries? Fear of failure. That's one reason. Sometimes it's a result of indifference to what God wants us to do. And so we just decide, well, Lord, I'm, I'm just not going to get involved in that. And thirdly, we don't want to pay the price. How do I deal with it? Here's how I deal with boundaries. I identify what the boundary is. I ask God to forgive me for my lack of faith in failing to believe what he says about himself, that he'll go with me every step of the way and he will empower me to accomplish, to achieve whatever it is, no matter what. I have to repent of that. Second, I have to refocus my thinking. Father, I exist for you. You don't exist for me. I exist for you. What's your will? What's your plan? What's your purpose? What do you want me to do? That gets my attention off me on him, then I can hear him better. And thirdly, I have to realign my priorities. Father, on the basis of what you want to do, and if these barriers come tumbling down, what do you want me to do with my life? And my friend, when you and I are willing to identify the barriers, we will identify those things that hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. And we're willing to deal with them. You will be absolutely amazed at what God may do in your life if you will refuse the boundaries and tell him that you are his to go where, when, to be, to do whatever pleases and whatever honors him. And if my motivation's right, I'm going to do exactly what he says. Father, we love you for loving us enough not to let us rest where we are. We love you for loving us enough to challenge us and to get us to thinking about what are these barricades that we have set up, these boundaries behind which we hide, these limitations that we have allowed to develop in our thinking. Pull them down crush them, shatter them, so that the only thing that matters is that we're walking in harmony with you, in step with you, in your direction, for your purpose, your will, and your way, as a body of believers, and likewise as individuals. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to part two of Vision Without Boundaries. 
If you'd like to know more about Charles Stanley or InTouch Ministries, stop by InTouch.org. This podcast is a presentation of InTouch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.